Hi, and welcome to the wonderful world of Disney Villains Podcast. I'm your host, Katie, ready to talk about everything Disney. Welcome back for another episode. The new Amazon Cinderella came out, and my initial reaction was, why? (laughs) How many Cinderella movies does the world truly need? And did anyone ask for this, or do we even want it? When prepping and researching for this episode, another question popped into my head. Is Cinderella, the story, a feminist story or an anti-feminist story? And has it become any more progressive since? Right? Lots of things to think about. And I don't know about you, but to me, these questions are pretty big questions. And I don't think there's any particular right or wrong answer because each person will answer differently based on beliefs, identities, where they live, what they like to consume, etc. Timestamps and links to sources mentioned throughout the episode are in the description in case you would like to learn more. So to start, let's talk about feminism and what it means to be feminist. I feel like we need to have a clear definition to go off of to move forward and all be on the same page. And I'll get to Cinderella in a second. So the most basic definition of feminism is, quote, the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of the equality of the sexes, end quote. True feminism is accepting, understanding, advocating, and supporting all genders as equal to each other, which is often miscommunicated and misunderstood depending on who you talk to. Some people say Cinderella is an anti-feminist story. Others say Cinderella is a feminist story. So let me give you a summary of the 1950 Disney Cinderella animated movie before I continue talking about this. I will say my summaries do tend to be quite long, so feel free to skip ahead if you don't need the refresher on what the 1950 Cinderella is about. So the 1950 Disney Cinderella movie, Cinderella grows up with her mean and abusive stepmother and stepsisters, uh, two stepsisters. They push her to be a maid in her own home, and we as audience viewers constantly witness them insulting and abusing Cinderella. Cinderella's only friends are the animals, the mice and the dog, the horse, etc., who help her as best they can whenever possible. One day, every eligible maiden is invited to a ball to meet the prince. Cinderella advocates that she should be able to go because she's a maiden in the town too. Her stepmother gives her a little hope by saying if Cinderella finishes all the chores, she can go, but later hints she doesn't really plan to let Cinderella go. Dare I mention, every female is required by royal degree to go to this ball. And the stepmother is like, eh, let me ignore the demand of the king and give you a maybe answer. Anyway, to Cinderella's surprise, the mice spruced up her mother's old dress for her, knowing that with all her chores, she wouldn't have time herself to do it. Cinderella goes downstairs, excited to go to the ball. Her stepsisters literally tear apart her dress and outfit and leave without Cinderella to the ball, and the stepmother lets them. Cinderella is upset and runs out to the yard. Fairy Godmother appears, who gives Cinderella a new dress, glass slippers, transforms a pumpkin into a carriage, and transforms her animal friends into the horses, coachmen, and footmen. The Fairy Godmother tells Cinderella she has until midnight before everything will go back to the way they were. Cinderella goes to the ball, catches the prince's attention. He goes up to her, they dance the night away. Clock strikes midnight right as they stop dancing and start talking. Cinderella runs, leaving a single glass slipper behind, both her and the prince knowing nothing about each other, not even names. Cinderella doesn't even know that he's the prince. That's like, that's how little they know about each other. The next day, word spreads that the prince wants to marry the woman who left the glass slipper. There is a mandate for every maiden to try on the glass slipper, 
and whoever fits the slipper will be his bride. Now, we're all aware of the, is Cinderella the only one in her town with her foot size type questions? So don't ask me. Stories have loopholes. I didn't write the story, okay? This is when Cinderella realizes she was dancing with the prince. She silly gives herself away in her happiness and her stepmother figures out Cinderella was the one dancing with the prince that night. Seriously, nothing gets past that woman. So the stepmother locks Cinderella in her attic tower bedroom which seems like another issue, when the duke comes to have everyone try on the glass slipper. The mice go and get the key from the stepmother's pocket and push it up the stairs to Cinderella's bedroom, which you have to give them credit for because it's a lot of stairs. Some other things happen, but eventually Cinderella gets out and she runs down the stairs just as the duke is about to leave. So far, no woman has been able to get their foot into the glass slipper and Cinderella seems like the last possible woman to try it on. And surprise, it fits. (laughs) The Duke takes Cinderella to the palace to marry the prince. They get married and live happily ever after. Until the third movie and time travel happens. But that's another story for another time. Based on this movie alone, different articles have different talking points on why this movie and fairy tale is a feminist text versus an anti-feminist text. I'm going to start with the anti-feminist reasons first. Personally, I believe Cinderella is an anti-feminist story. It's a story rooted in patriarchy, where a woman's only goal in life seems to be marrying a good man with good status. And I get it reflects history and the time that it was created, right? So I can't blame the 1950s Cinderella movie, but it is still a popular movie today. And things are not really the same as they were 70 years ago. And personally, I do think the movie is also more about how the mice help Cinderella than about Cinderella herself. Literally, I think they have more screen time than Cinderella. Lisa Nazir, if I pronounce that right, has a much more formal and academic response to what I just said. They say, quote, Cinderella is an anti-feminist story because of the representation of gender inequality through patriarchy and objectification, specifically sexual objectification. Patriarchy, according to Joe Santillian of the University of California, is a system where male-dominated structures and social arrangement cause oppression of women. This is exhibited in Cinderella through the concept of her living happily ever after, after getting married to the prince. In this context, Cinderella fulfills the damsel in distress archetype, whereas the prince is represented as the hero regardless of the fact that he had no role to play in her initial rebellion from the family and her will to change her situation. The story is wrapped up as if her deep-rooted issues disappeared through the arrival of the male figure. In addition, Cinderella is objectified through her role as the winner of the prince's affection because of her beauty. The prince wishes to dance with her just because he finds her to be the most sexually attractive female in the room. He fails to ask her of her name and about her life, which is shown through his difficulties in finding her after the ball, end quote. Now, I guess to give the prince a little credit, he does ask or rather yell out, what's your name? I don't know your name as she's leaving and running away. But Lisa does have a fair point. Lisa goes on to mention additional sources and the concept of the second sex, which implies females are regarded as below men. They go on to say, quote, it can be concluded that a woman is someone who waits for her Prince Charming to save her from all her problems and sweep her off her feet, end quote. 
and then they also continue to say quote this in turn shows that a woman is less of a human being than a man which is the misconception feminists have been trying to rid the society of for decades end quote youtuber john kozar who has the youtube account paint backs up this theory with his after ever after videos singing about what happens to disney characters after their happy endings in the sequel after ever after 2 john sings about or rather sings as cinderella as cinderella he sings about how the prince was the only wish she had and that they didn't know much about each other before getting married once cinderella told the prince about the pumpkin the mice etc the prince sent her to an asylum until she essentially went brain dead from all the medications and medical practices performed on her because obviously she didn't need it and i know that's a very dark ending and a very dark take on a disney specific film and story but it was sung in a super upbeat way if that helps okay so feminist reasons the reasons why cinderella is a feminist story personally i feel like these reasons are confusing femininity with feminism they are different Feminism, like we talked about earlier, is advocating for gender equality. Femininity is behaviors, rules, and more that are generally characterized or stereotyped with women and girls. Some people would call the concept of femininity a social construct, while others say it's biological. So let me tell you the reasons for Cinderella being a feminist story, and you can judge yourself whether they are talking about feminism or femininity. Daily Titan, the student publication and website for California State University, says Cinderella is a feminist is as feminist as any modern princess movie, which is a huge statement. Quote, the issue at hand is that traditionally feminine qualities are deemed, quote, not feminist, and a woman with those traits can't be considered strong or a great role model. Cinderella challenges that by embodying both femininity and what it means to be a feminist. Cinderella is criticized for not getting herself out of her position, but many women in abusive situations and relationships find it difficult to leave. It is not the victim's fault for finding herself in the situation, nor for staying. While Cinderella's story is not meant to condone abuse, it shows that there is strength in choosing to create happiness in a world that is cruel. Despite years of emotional and physical abuse, Cinderella still finds reasons to dream, sing, and smile without taking it out on anyone. Not only is she emotionally strong for surviving an abusive household for as long as she did, but Cinderella is physically strong as well. She may not be going on physically taxing adventures like Rapunzel or Moana, but you can bet that scrubbing floors builds muscle, end quote. And I get what they're saying. People can be feminine and a feminist, but I also don't agree that showing emotional strength and finding happiness while being abused is necessarily feminist. Emotional strength and expressing emotions have their own issues with women getting to express emotions while men and boys are told that they should not show any emotion, tears, vulnerability, right? I can't grasp how showing emotional strength and finding happiness, optimism, or hope advocates for gender equality. So again, think femininity, which is characteristics of females, versus feminist, which is advocating for gender equality. We're talking about advocating for gender equality Cinderella stories. I'll also go back to the finding happiness in a bad situation later. 
So content warning, I am going to talk about domestic and family abuse for a bit since Daily Titan mentioned it and it is a huge part of Cinderella's story that we don't really talk about. If you want to skip it, please check the timestamps in the description to know where to skip to. I will pause now for you to skip ahead. Okay, so I want to start this conversation by saying I have no personal experience with domestic or family abuse. Therefore, everything I'm going to say is based on statistics and research I found on the topic. So I apologize if I'm missing anything or I'm being insensitive, rude, or offensive. I promise that's not my intention. I am just not familiar with the terminology, experiences, what is triggering, what is not appropriate. So to start, domestic and family abuse can happen to anyone of any gender, of any age, but it disproportionately affects and targets women and girls. And I should emphasize, disproportionately doesn't mean only. It's just research shows that they are targeted more than other identities. Second, domestic violence and family abuse itself is generally based in anti-feminist views. Women's Aid says, quote, there are important differences between male violence against women and female violence against men, namely the amount, severity, and impact. Women experience higher rates of repeated victimization and are much more likely to be seriously hurt or killed than male victims, end quote. They go on to say, quote, domestic abuse perpetrated by men against women is rooted in women's unequal status in society and is part of the wider social problem of male violence against women and girls. We found in our research with the University of Bristol that sexism and misogyny set the scene for male abusive partners, coercive and controlling behaviors. Sexism and misogyny serve to excuse abusive behavior by men in intimate relationships with women and put up barriers to female survivors being believed and supported to leave abusive men, end quote. And for those who may not know, misogyny is the dislike, hatred, or prejudice against women. Safe Steps states, that's a lot of S's for me, quote, the level of domestic violence incidences within a community has a strong negative correlation with social, economic, and cultural inequities or inequalities between the genders. Rates of domestic violence are lower in societies that have lower rates of gender inequity, end quote. They also go on to discuss the complex relationship between gender and violence expressed in the violence that women perpetuate towards other women to reinforce traditional gender roles and expectations. And this was the part that I was really looking for just because we're, we're talking about Cinderella and Cinderella lives in a household full of women. So Safe Step says, quote, dominant cultural attitudes signal to both women and men that women have lower social value and are less deserving of respect. Women as well as men internalize gender roles and expectations through rewards and sanctions for particular behavior. These attitudes and expectations are often reinforced by other types of social discrimination, such as ageism and homophobia, which intensifies the risk of abuse. This strongly contributes towards women's vulnerability to violence and to the reinforcement of violence-supportive attitudes by women, end quote. It's unfortunate and sad and sadly true. So going back to what I mentioned about happiness versus optimism, because I think it's more optimism and hope than happiness that they were talking about. I did look up happiness and feminism, and many articles talked about a book 
called The H-Spot, The Feminist Pursuit of Happiness by Jill Filipovic. I hope I said that right. Now, I haven't read the book, but I did read the interview with the author. The author mentioned multiple times that, quote, women are funneled towards certain options because our choices are constrained. And then we're told that we're the ones doing the choosing and so it's our responsibility, end quote. This also strains the ultimate choice or decision someone can make, which may involve sacrificing ultimate happiness for content or slight happiness. An example used was female college students being told to not go out, not dress a certain way, not dance a certain way, not drink, etc. if they don't want to be sexually harassed. Instead of being able to do what they want, dress how they want, you know, wear shorts and tank tops in the summer, to not be hot, to be able to drink alcoholic beverages, to be able to dance however you want to dance, to even go out with your friends to dance, they are reserved and make sacrifices and lose out on having, I guess you could call it like ultimate happiness, ultimate fun and pleasure, to be content with having some fun while being on guard all the time. Or having your um, your walls up all the time. So in speaking about Cinderella, I think while she was able to find, quote, happiness in her abusive household, I think she really had hope and optimism that things can get better or are not the end of the world bad and terrible. I'm not convinced she found happiness in her situation, especially since the narrator literally starts the story saying each day Cinderella dreams of happiness, implying she's not Either she's not happy or she's not completely happy, right? She doesn't have that ultimate happiness. Uh, But that's my opinion. We all have different opinions. So going back to the Daily Titan, they continue by saying Cinderella, quote, has dreams and hopes for a better life. She does not let her situation dictate how she lives her life. Yes, she doesn't actively get out of her situation until the end, but she is stuck in a position that she has no control over, end quote. They also say, quote, women are allowed to be assertive and goal-oriented in the same way that women are allowed to be shy and reserved. Being a feminist means embracing both masculine and feminine traits as valid forms of strength without shaming each or either one, end quote. And again, I agree and disagree with both of these quotes. I don't feel like Cinderella's dreams are made clear that she specifically dreamed for a better life, although I completely assume that's what she dreams about since... The narrator says that Cinderella dreams of happiness. And yes, she doesn't let her situation dictate what life means to her. And yes, she makes the best of what she has. Her situation can be viewed by some as influencing how she lives her life. Because she does live as a maid in a tower of her own home versus being homeless fighting to survive, right? And yes, I agree being a feminist means embracing all traits as forms of strength without shame. The Mary Sue, which is not a person, it's a source, also mentioned similar points to the Daily Titan, stating, quote, We have seen Cinderella as a kind person who, despite being a victim of abuse and neglect, treats people with kindness, end quote. They also mentioned Cinderella dreaming of a better life and showing signs of resilience. The Mary Sue was also the only source I read who mentioned the anti-feminist point of the male gaze in the movie. They said the 1950s Cinderella movie, quote, introduces another way to differentiate Cinderella from the other women in her life that continues in later adaptations, which is her appearance, where Cinderella is an angelic version of traditional beauty standards, blonde hair, soft features, a petite and unthreatening physicality. Her stepsisters are cartoonish with turned up noses and ridiculous hairstyles. 
In one scene, the movie even shows Drizella singing terribly off-key before cutting to Cinderella singing the same song in a perfectly lovely lilt. It's one thing to compare their moral centers, Cinderella's kindness versus her stepsister's selfishness and cruelty, and another a sign of a patriarchal society to tie those moral centers to physical appearance as judged definitively through a traditional male gaze." End quote. So overall, Cinderella is a victim and survivor of abuse who is able to see hope, optimism, and the best in everything. But I don't believe her story is a feminist story. And that's just my personal opinion. Gentleness, empathy, being kind, helpful, and modest are stereotypical feminine traits explaining who Cinderella the person or character is, not explaining her story and whether the story is feminist. And again, feminist means advocating for gender equality. Femininity or feminine means behaviors, rules, and more that are generally characterized or stereotyped with women and girls. One more topic I want to discuss before moving on is Cinderella, the character, so a little bit separate from her story, and her agency. To me, having agency is a feminist issue. Let me give you some definitions of what it means to have agency before explaining why I think this and how it applies to Cinderella. In social science, agency is defined as the capacity for individuals to act independently and make their own free choices. And Mindful.org, along with the book The Power of Agency, say, quote, having more agency means taking responsibility for your life, end quote. So based on these definitions, having agency to me is a feminist issue. Literally right now, we women are fighting for reproductive rights to have agency over our own bodies. Middle schools and high schools right now are protesting for girls and young women to be able to wear tank tops or shirts that show bare shoulders at school because apparently boys and young men see bare shoulders and can't control their sexual desires in the classroom. There's also a lot wrong with saying what I just said, but that is another conversation for another time that I don't even know if we're going to get to because it's not Disney specific. And if those are not perfect examples of women and girls not having the agency to decide what they do with their bodies and what they wear on their bodies, I don't know what is. Anyway, I bring all this up because Cinderella and Cinderella having versus not having agency is another topic that I've seen both sides for. And as you may have guessed, I do not believe Cinderella has much agency. Not that we're comparing, but if we were to compare to modern Disney princesses, she definitely lacks agency. I can understand because of her situation in an abusive household, not knowing how to get out, gain control of what is happening to her, etc. She lacks agency and doesn't know how to gain agency for herself and leave this situation. There are additional things she's probably thinking about, like if I leave, are there consequences, where will I live, how will I get food, etc. I can totally imagine that. The Mary Sue argues that Cinderella does have agency, and I feel like I should emphasize again, I do believe she has some agency, I just don't think she has much agency. So the Mary Sue states, quote, simply because Cinderella has helped getting to the ball, whether it be a fairy godmother and some mice or Leonardo da Vinci, which is referencing another Cinderella movie, it does not take away her own agency in wanting a better life for herself, nor should anyone begrudge an abused woman the acceptance of kindness. Realistically, once she is no longer under the control of her stepmother, she will continue to suffer from years of trauma and the long process of healing, but it's a lot better than the alternative, end quote. There were also early discussions of Disney's Cinderella being more, quote, rebellious and pushing back on the stepfamily or at the stepfamily. 
in the book Mouse Under Glass, Secrets of Disney Animation and Theme Parks, uncredited screenwriter Maurice Raff said, quote, In my version, the fairy godmother said, It's okay till midnight, but from then on, it's up to you. I made her, Cinderella, earn it. And what she had to do to achieve it was to rebel against her stepmother and stepsisters. She stopped being a slave in her own home. So I had a scene where they're ordering her around and she throws the stuff back at them. She revolts, so they lock her up in the attic. I don't think anyone took my idea very seriously. End quote. Female empowerment can also tie into discussions about Cinderella's agency, but I figure you all want to hear more about the Cinderella movies than conversations about real life. So I'm going to pause. If you want me to talk more about this and kind of go more in depth, send a DM to the podcast on Instagram or a message on the website and I will consider having a continuation of this conversation on a future episode. So the story of Cinderella has been around for centuries. Disney is but one of literally hundreds of adaptations of this fairy tale. Fox.com states the first recorded story with a Cinderella-like figure came from Greece in the 6th century BCE. In the story, an eagle steals her shoe, flies it across the Mediterranean, and drops the shoe in the lap of a king. Go figure. The king takes it as a literal sign and goes searching for the owner of the shoe and then they get married. Another story Vox.com mentioned is a 9th century Chinese fairy tale where a young girl is granted one wish and she creates a gown to find a husband. Similarly, a king finds her shoe, goes searching for her, and they get married. There are literally over 500 other versions of the Cinderella story according to Vox.com. Did you know that? Because I didn't know that. The closest version to Disney's Cinderella came from France, but was technically an adaptation from Italy's version of the Cinderella story in the 17th century. The French version was the one that introduced the glass slipper, the pumpkin, and the fairy godmother. The Brothers Grimm is another adaptation we are somewhat familiar with, but it has a much darker story. The most recent version, or like I guess most accurate version to the Brothers Grimm tale that I can think of is the musical Into the Woods. You can also read the NPR article, A Girl, A Shoe, A Prince, The Endlessly Evolving Cinderella, for more versions of Cinderella throughout history, as well as many of the adaptations since the 1950s Disney Cinderella. I have a link to that article in the description if interested. So why do we have so many Cinderella story movies? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, here's a list of the more well-known and recent Cinderella movies, also all the ones that I'm personally aware of. Disney Cinderella 1950 animated movie, with a sequel, Cinderella 2, and another sequel, Cinderella 3, which is the time travel one. Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella starring Brandy and Whitney Houston. I think there's actually another version of that with Julie Andrews. Ever After, starring Drew Barrymore, a Cinderella story starring Hilary Duff followed by another Cinderella story starring Selena Gomez, and literally four more Cinderella story movies, the most recent being released June 2021, like a couple months ago. Uh, I don't know if you count this one, but Ella Enchanted, starring Anne Hathaway. Her name was Ella. She had a similar storyline to Cinderella, without exactly following the Cinderella plot. Happily Never After, animated movie starring Sarah Michelle Gellar, aka Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Rags, a Nickelodeon movie that gender-switched all the characters, where Charlie, instead of Cinderella, lives with his evil stepfather and two evil stepbrothers, and he meets a rich and famous woman and gets his chance to be a singer. 
Uh, we have Into the Woods musical and movie, Disney Cinderella 2015 live action starring Lily James, and of course the new Amazon Studio Cinderella 2021 starring Camila Cabello. It's a lot, and I didn't even list all of them. Uh, oh, also not to mention, TV show Once Upon a Time had two Cinderellas, one who resembled the 1950s Cinderella with the blonde hair and the blue dress, and one Latina Cinderella, technically the first Latina Cinderella. So again, why do we have so many Cinderellas? Why do we have so many Cinderella stories? Why do we watch all of them when we really already know what's going to happen? The Mary Sue contributor Anya Crittenton says the character of Cinderella, quote, can be one of the most feminist, tenacious, and kind female characters, end quote. They go on to say, quote, she's a princess who saves herself just as much as any other one with a sword or daring journey. The way her story is told through modern adaptations shows the evolution of both the story and evolving ideas about feminism and representation, end quote. And while I don't fully agree with the bits about feminism and agency, as we previously discussed, I do think they have a point. Cinderella can be anyone. She's a kind person who is a victim of abuse. She doesn't feel like she can do anything about her situation other than endure, continue to be kind, and not let her situation consume her and take away who she is as a person. Something that anyone, regardless of age, gender, race, sexuality, socioeconomic status, nationality, etc., can feel and experience. Cinderella is given support by a kind stranger, the fairy godmother, to experience one evening of, I would say, freedom, happiness, fun, totally separated from her personal life, her family, and just experience life for an evening, right? That opportunity, um, is opportunity the right word? This opportunity, because I can't think of another word, leads to Cinderella leaving her stepfamily I guess it doesn't, I don't know if it would lead to, but it ends up leading to her leaving her stepfamily sooner than maybe she anticipated and hopefully leaving the bad experiences behind and starting a new experience in life as a princess. I can imagine that some individuals may want to experience a quote miracle of sorts. In the 1950 version, the fairy godmother does literally use the word miracle. She said, quote, we have to hurry because even miracles take a little time, end quote. So like I was saying, many individuals may want to experience a miracle of sorts to support them when no one else will, or it seems like the world is fighting against them. And as an actor, I'm not an actor, but if I was an actor, as an actor, who wouldn't want to play a character in a Cinderella fairy tale? I mean, really. The chance to be a princess, even an extra to be honest, in a movie sounds fun to me too. Like getting to wear a glamorous costume, attending this giant ball. Those are not things that you get to do every day. I think it would be fun. And so you just get to play dress up. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? If you're not into the ballroom experience, maybe like a superhero action shot or a, like a James Bond or, or something. Pop Crush also mentions Cinderella may be easier to bring to life than other stories like Princess and the Frog, Frozen, and others which require a lot more CGI to bring to life, which could also be true. Maybe that's why we see a lot of adaptations of Cinderella and also Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, here's a list of Snow White adaptations, or at least the ones I can initially think of. Uh, there's 1930s, I can't remember the exact year, I think it was 37, Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, then Snow White and the Huntsman with Kristen Stewart. There was another one, Mirror Mirror with Julia Roberts and Lily Collins. There was a horror movie that someone told me about, Snow White, A Tale of Terror. I haven't seen it. I hate horror movies. Um, Sydney White with Amanda Bynes. 
Happily Never After 2, so a sequel to the Happily Never After animated movie. Uh, Snow White, The Fairest of Them All, which is the one I grew up watching. Kind of dark. I feel like there's one more. Oh, and of course, the TV show Once Upon a Time. Anyway, this is not about Snow White, sorry. So the question that I'll keep saying, do we actually want or need all these adaptations of everything? It's like we're in this decade of remaking everything, right? And my answer might be different from yours. Uh, My answer is eh, probably not. Although I definitely took advantage of this particular episode to rewatch some of the movies I grew up watching. And in terms of the adaptations that I grew up watching, it is fun and it does feel nostalgic. I guess rewatching or seeing new versions, right, can be a little nostalgic, but I mean, nothing beats the original in my opinion, unless it has a good sequel, but I don't think that happens very often. On another podcast, I had mentioned that I had not watched the entire 2015 live action Disney Cinderella movie, nor did I like the parts that I did see because of Cinderella's lack of agency in the anti-feminist world all the characters seem to live in when we are or were in the year 2015. So after that recording that episode, I watched the entire movie from beginning to end and my thoughts initially changed. But after watching it a second time and analyzing the movie like I always do, I reverted back to my original thoughts. And we can say I was slightly swayed by my inner child in love with all things princess, no matter how many adaptations there are, because I've seen many fighting against my adult media analyst self, which is fair. The reason I want to talk about this movie in particular, the 2015 live action Cinderella movie, is because it's technically Disney's most recent version of Cinderella. And I felt like it took us backwards. I understand we're trying to stay true to the animated Cinderella movie to an extent, but this is an adaptation, right? Not a complete imitation. And we also live in the present. So I was anticipating that they might have included some more modern concepts or ideas like more than one character of color with speaking lines who helps move the plot forward, for example. And I will say, I guess the ball has cultural diversity, but we don't hear anything they say, and none of them are, you know, relevant characters or characters who move the plot forward. Even that princess, she says a couple lines, and she sounds really snooty, but she doesn't actually move the plot forward other than, you know, the prince doesn't want to marry her, and well, I guess that could be a plot So this movie had mostly positive reviews. I was kind of surprised. One even mentioned the movie showed an empowered Cinderella. Yes, I agree. If we can ignore all the social issues like lack of racial representation, gender equality, social class, all the things. It's a pretty good movie. It's a bit hard for me now to completely remove myself from all those thoughts and completely immerse myself in this world, especially when it's slightly based on how things used to be and not a completely fictional made-up universe, like if we were to go to Hogwarts, not the Muggle world, or if we were to be in Lord of the Rings, or if we were to be in Star Wars, you know, something that you would never be able to experience or have experienced in history. It's just a whole new world, (laughs) Disney quote. But it's based on our past, and it has a lot of real elements like the dress code and the houses and horses and all the all the things. So, I also did not watch this movie and immediately think this version of Cinderella was empowered, or even that the story is empowering compared to the animated 1950 movie. I actually like really had to think about it, and I was surprised to see that review. 
And maybe it's because there are gray areas and we're not definitively told certain things. Examples being in this version of Cinderella, she may have only known her stepfamily for a year or less based on how the movie moves forward. It also seems like Cinderella and her stepsisters are civil with each other. Maybe I should emphasize, are civil with each other at times. Cinderella is often seen smiling around them or while helping them, hence why I say that. I think she finds them entertaining and humorous at times. The stepsisters aren't always yelling or putting Cinderella down like in the animated one, when Cinderella was never seen conversing or interacting with her stepsisters unless it was because they had a list of chores for Cinderella to do. It kind of reminded me of the Rodgers and Hammerstein version with Brandy as Cinderella. In that movie, there's a scene when Cinderella is dancing with her stepsisters. They are wanting to dance with each other. Her stepsisters are listening to her and they fall in love with what she says about romance, which is not something you would have seen in the animated one. They're completely horrid. I also felt like the 2015 Cinderella expressed Cinderella was only staying with her stepfamily because it's her family's home for over 200 years and she wanted to love and take care of her house as her family did when they were alive to honor and cherish their memories and lives. And maybe some will consider that empowering because she's choosing to stay for the memory of her family even though she's not treated well. Or maybe I just didn't understand Cinderella's dreams and motivations in this movie. And maybe I'm overthinking everything because it is a movie. Like I always say, movies and art reflect life. Disney movies are viewed by families all over the world. They hold influence and power. Anyway, I'm going to take back what I said earlier. I'm going to talk more about feminism. Sorry. Vox.com had an entire article about the 2015 Cinderella movie and how it's even more anti-feminist than the 1950 movie, if you can believe it. So I'm going to give you the rundown of what they said, but I'm not going to mention all the talking points, just a few. So I'll have a link in the description if you want to read the full article and read all the reasons why they think it's a more anti-feminist movie. So one of the things Vox.com mentioned is that Cinderella is less proactive than ever before. Quote, the overall effect is that Cinderella ends up being someone who suffers beautifully and that's about it actually. Even if you aren't particularly worried about what message that sends about women, it's absolutely murder when it comes to storytelling. Most conventional stories require a character who actively pursues some kind of goal. Cinderella is a character who lacks a primary goal, which makes her a tricky character to give a story arc. But this particular version of her story strips away even the slightest hints of her agency that might have existed before, end quote. They continue on to say, quote, when the wicked stepmother locks Cinderella away at the end of the film, after our hero has met the love of her life, she decides to live with being a prisoner in her attic. At least the original Cinderella fought back a little bit, end quote. And I forgot about that, but that is so true. Cinderella fights back, she screams, she yells, she says, you have to let me out, and she's crying, and she's banging on the door, and then Cinderella's like, eh, it's fine, I wrote about it in my diary, I'll just live with dreaming about it and wishing. Another thing Vox.com mentioned is the have courage and be kind quote throughout the movie. They literally said, have courage and be kind, really. They say, quote, you can sort of see what the director's script is going for here. Cinderella's journey will be about learning that you can be good to people, but still stand up for yourself when they treat you poorly. There's a difference between the good sort of kindness, like giving a homeless person a cup of water, and self-defeating kindness, like submitting yourself to tons of abuse from your stepsisters and stepmother just because you think it's, quote, right. Cinderella does both of these things in the movie, and the script never draws enough of a distinction between them. There's one scene toward the end where Cinderella stands up to her stepmother, but it's very quickly pushed aside, end quote. 
Another point they mentioned is the most fully formed emotional relationship has nothing to do with Cinderella. They state the movie gives Cinderella's stepmother all these reasons to not like Cinderella, as told in the monologue, but then they do nothing about it or with it. They continue to say, quote, Weirdly, the relationships the film lavishes the most time on are all between men. And personally, outside of the quote, I'm not even sure they existed in the animated one. Anyway, going back to the quote, The king and his son, the prince, have a relationship that progresses along a fairly flat arc. The king doesn't want his son to marry a commoner, and then he gradually warms to the idea. But hey, at least that's an arc. The same goes for the prince's relationships with his guards, who are his closest confidants. End quote. There was something like that in the Rogers and Hammerstein's version of Cinderella, but it, it didn't take over like it did in this movie. And then the last one that I'm going to mention that Vox.com mentions is, and this is their words, seriously though, that corset. They say, quote, what's crazy about this version is that Cinderella ends up with a supernaturally thin waist, thanks to a corset that James, aka Lily James Cinderella, has complained wouldn't let her swallow whole foods, end quote. Now to me, that doesn't sound healthy, or safe. Vox.com goes on to say, quote, is it just me or is the animated Cinderella's waist actually slightly larger? And even if it's not, it's still weird to try to get an adult human being down to cartoon proportions. The message seems clear. On the most magical night of her life, Cinderella's waist is size negative two, end quote. And I mean, I don't want to say that we should like, what's the word? We don't, we shouldn't be bashing on Lily James for her like petite figure to begin with, but it is interesting how her corset could make her that tiny. Because even if you compare to Emma Watson as Belle, live action Belle, right? In person, the two of them seem like they're roughly around the same size. I don't know if they both wore corsets, but Emma Watson's waist size did not shrink dramatically when she wore the ballroom dress like Lily James did. I don't know. There's a lot about that. There's also a TED talk about it, the power and problems of princesses or something like that, where they talk about the corsets and the waist sizes and the cartoon proportions and things like that. I can include a link if you want to watch that. It's really interesting, actually. So I did only mention four points from the article. I basically just read the words to you, but I agree with everything they said. Maybe that's just me making the argument by having, you know, all of these points that only boost my argument, but... I do think it's anti-feminist, so there we go. The Mary Sue also pointed out, I thought this was interesting because I didn't see anyone else say it, quote, the 2015 remake with Lily James and Richard Madden was peak white excellence Cinderella. At this point, it's time to be fully non-white, queer, or something, end quote. Personally, I think the Rodgers and Hammerstein's 1997 Cinderella movie starring Brandy and Whitney Houston showed a more feminist story and definitely a more empowering story with more empowered characters than all other Disney Cinderella adaptations I've seen. And by Disney adaptations, I really just mean 1950 Cinderella and 2015 Cinderella, the ones with the name Cinderella in the title of the movie. And out of those three Cinderella movies, I personally feel like the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella is the most racially diverse out of the three. I mean, it is for sure, guaranteed by far. There are still issues with the film, the Rodgers and Hammerstein film. Like in this particular one, there's fat shaming of the stepsister. There's a strong push for heteronormative viewpoints and other, but if we're comparing it to the other two, I think this version is the most inclusive of all. The movie was such a game changer for youth and families of color, and I remember growing up watching this movie maybe for that reason, I'm not sure. Not, not only for that reason, definitely like one of many reasons. You have Brandy, 
as the first black Cinderella, Whitney Houston as the first black fairy godmother, Whoopi Goldberg as the first black queen, and you know, just first queen in general since her character doesn't exist in either of the other versions of Cinderella. There's also multiracial stepsisters, and our first Asian prince, Captain Lee Chang from Milan is a military captain, not of royal status, but we still consider him a Disney prince. In rewatching the Rogers and Hammerstein's movie, I didn't realize how long the prince's name is. In the 1950 version, we didn't even get a name. He was just Prince Charming. Years later, the internet said his name is Henry. Uh, not sure if the TV show Once Upon a Time did that on purpose, but the TV show Once Upon a Time, Cinderella does marry a man named Henry. I, actually, Henry is technically a prince too. So there you go. And then in the 2015 Cinderella movie, the prince's name is Kit. No last name that I'm aware of. In the 1987 Rogers and Hammerstein Cinderella, I had to write this down, the prince has a long name in song form. It's Christopher, Rupert, Windermere, Vladimir, Carl, Alexander, Francis, Reginald, Lancelot, Herman, Gregory, James. But they just go by Christopher Rupert. Uh, I don't know if they were trying to make us feel better <laughs> or, or something, since we didn't get a name originally, but it makes for a great song. I will tell you that. And as a woman of color, as an Asian woman... I love seeing an Asian prince and multiple multiracial families. I'm Asian. I grew up in a multiracial family. It was the first time within Disney I felt my household and family were, were represented. We don't all have to look alike with the same skin tone to be related. And the best part was no one even questioned it. No one ever said, why is the king, played by Victor Garber, and queen, played by Whoopi Goldberg, the parents of the prince, played by Paolo Mont Montalban, uh, and I loved it. People questioned why my mom was white my entire life, and I got tired of explaining or feeling like I had to explain my personal and family situation to them because it is personal, and I would feel bad if I didn't explain it because then they would be ignorant and maybe feel like they can't ask questions to other people or continue believing that y'all have to look alike or something. So that was my 1990s upbringing. This movie also proved that diverse representation works in film. Like, we need more proof. Like, people keep saying in the movie industry, like, not everyone believes that diverse representation works in film, so we don't always see it. But, I mean, this movie did great, won a lot of awards, Black Panther did amazing, Crazy Rich Asians, To All the Boys I've Loved Before, and more. There's so many that have done so great with characters of color and lead roles, or an entire cast of color. Was it, like, Get Out and, um, is it called Us? They all did great. Like, what? why do we still have these questions about does diverse representation work in film? Does having an entire cast of color work in film? It works, okay? We have plenty of proof. I don't know why. Anyway, that's my little rage rant. The HuffPost.com also mentioned this movie, the Rogers and Hammerstein's movie, portrayal of Cinderella's feminist mindset came up quite a bit with examples like Cinderella taking offense when the prince tells her a girl should be treated like a princess. She quickly corrects him by saying no, like a person with kindness and respect. I did like that bit. Another reason I like this movie is the relationships between characters. Like, we kind of just mentioned this, but I felt like this movie had so much more relationship building, or like you can see more interactions than the previous one. I kind of felt like Cinderella was isolated or only talking to animals. In this one, she doesn't talk to animals. Like, how often, first of all, do you see interracial relationships in a Disney movie? 
almost never. Particularly Disney princess movies, let me tell you, very rarely. Princess and the Frog, only one I can think of on the spot. And the prince is technically racially ambiguous, right? We don't actually know his ethnicity, only his nationality. This movie shows multiple interracial relationships. I'm really struggling with that word. The opening scene literally shows Cinderella people watching and there's a close-up of an interracial couple walking down the street. Cinderella and the prince, as well as the king and the queen, are interracial couples. The show starts with Cinderella and the prince meeting and talking. The the prince was dressed as a, a commoner? I feel like that's a bad word. Dressed not like a prince. And later at the ball, they meet up again. They talk while dancing. They sing a duet while dancing. Both of them seem to not remember each other from the previous day, the literal previous day. And we're talking and seem to be friendly with each other. I don't think Cinderella was like super into him, but she told him her name anyway. They continue talking after dancing at the ball. The prince even says he wants to meet everyone in her life, including her family. He's vulnerable to Cinderella about wanting to be himself in a world that has high expectations of him and wanting a partner who he can talk to and be true to. They sing a duet about falling in love with each other and they kiss at the ball. Like She has so much time, but he doesn't ask her her name like he did the previous day. I personally like that the prince in this movie goes to each house with the slipper and watches each maiden try on the slipper. So he has has an actual part in the search instead of the 1950 film where they were like, the prince is actively searching for her, but he's not there. He's just <laughs> sitting in this castle. But it also kind of makes you wonder why the prince in this movie is staring at these people's feet. There's, he's just staring at them, trying on these shoes, and he doesn't instantly recognize that he didn't dance with them. But I will say he's the most active one in searching for Cinderella, and he recognizes her from when he first met her, even saying the first thing he said to her when he sees her. So I guess he makes up for it. And I guess if you're going to come at me about the 2015 Cinderella, yeah, the Prince King does technically go with them, but he's in disguise and he doesn't go in because he doesn't want them to know that he's there. So he's not like actively searching. He's just kind of like trailing with the guards in the background. This prince, Rogers and Hammerstein's prince, it was just him and his, I don't know if he's like a vizier or a duke or something, but he's like his royal confidant. It was only the two of them going to each house and actually stepping foot in each house and actually going up to each maiden and actually talking to each person. So I definitely think this prince had a lot more a lot more of an active role in searching. The stepsister's relationship with Cinderella, so much nicer. And I know like not everyone's gonna be nice, but I do like it. I don't actually know if they have a reason not to not like Cinderella in any version other than their mom telling them not to like Cinderella. And Cinderella and her sisters kind of have this like back and forth banter that I really like. Literally in the opening scene, the stepsisters ask for Cinderella's opinion about a hat and Cinderella straight up says, I don't think it flatters either one of you. It seems like Cinderella doesn't take their crap either. We witness Cinderella mock her stepsisters behind their backs and they yell for Cinderella to get things for them. If anything, the stepsisters are so competitive and insulting to each other that it's almost equal to how they treat Cinderella, but I kind of feel like they treat Cinderella a little bit better in terms of like the language and the communication, but they still, you know, hold this for me Cinderella or get me milk Cinderella, but it only happens a couple times. So I kind of feel like the stepsisters insult each other more than they do Cinderella. So it just seems like it's more sisterly, I guess. I think I mentioned this earlier. They even fall in love with what Cinderella says about meeting a man and falling in love. They're like, say it again, Cinderella. It sounds so nice and so romantic. There's no humiliating scene where the stepsisters rip Cinderella's dress and hurt Cinderella's feelings. 
after the ball, the sisters dance with Cinderella and intently listen to Cinderella sing about the ball and dancing. It's just nice. And of course, we can't forget the fairy godmother's relationship with Cinderella. To me, it's so much more defined in this movie. The fairy godmother does nothing but compliment and empower Cinderella, in my opinion, saying things like, quote, if you want to get out of here, you're going to have to do it yourself. Or, quote, you want to know what her problem is, the stepmother? She can't handle how fabulous you are. Or, quote, then go to the ball, Cinderella, go. No one's stopping you but you. And the fairy godmother even goes with Cinderella in her carriage to the castle and gives her support and encouragement at the castle entrance, like, like kind of like a pep talk. You got this. Just walk in there. Be yourself. You're going to do great, which we've never seen in any other version. The fairy godmother shows up later when Cinderella wants to leave the ball early, saying, quote, all they're thinking is that you're the most beautiful girl at the ball, and you are, end quote. I don't remember any other fairy godmother saying and doing all that for someone. I mean, yeah, they do a lot. They, you know, give them the carriage and the dresses and the glass slippers. This fairy godmother does so much more. So many pep talks, so much empowerment, so much courage at the ball, before the ball, on the way to the ball, everywhere. And to continue on this empowerment topic, in this version, Cinderella explains she's thought about leaving her stepfamily many times, which I don't think is something that has been verbally said by a Cinderella before, and she says she was staying or has been staying because her father's dying wish was for them to stay together as a family, which is kind of sad actually. After Cinderella's stepmother tells Cinderella her father spoiled her and none of her dreams will come true, Cinderella goes outside upset and says she deserves to be loved and to experience love. Again, another thing that I've never heard a Cinderella or really any Disney princess say out loud. I will also say, personally watching the movie for this episode, it did seem like the stepmother kind of felt bad about saying that to Cinderella. Maybe that's just me. The fairy godmother comes back again after hearing this, trying to encourage Cinderella to tell the prince who she is. And so the fairy godmother says, quote, you didn't need my help, you just thought you did. Believe in yourself, Cinderella, and trust him to love you as you really are, end quote. And while the stepsisters are trying on the glass slipper, we see that Cinderella is in another room packing her stuff, getting ready to leave. Again, not something that I've seen another Cinderella do before. The prince finds her while she's leaving with her packed stuff, and he immediately recognizes her, and she tries on the slipper, and they get married. HuffPost.com also discusses the dreaming versus doing mindset that I've really only seen in recent Disney princess movies and in terms of having conversations in a Disney princess movie, I've only seen that in Princess and the Frog. So HuffPost.com says, quote, while most Disney films are about following your dreams, the message in the 1997 Cinderella has one big difference. Instead of teaching kids to, quote, keep on believing, it teaches them that dreams only come true if you make them happen for yourself. Quote, that's the problem with most people. They dream about what they want instead of really doing it, end quote. Both Cinderella and her fairy godmother say that in the film. Not only is this type of go-getter attitude strikingly different from the laid-back message of the animated version, but it is an empowering message that anyone can learn from, end quote. Another thing I liked about this movie in comparison is it doesn't push that marriage is the answer. They mention, hey, maybe you'll marry the prince because of the ball, but there's nothing about the goal being to marry a man of high status, like in the other two where the stepsisters are like, let's marry a prince, and if not, let's try marrying a duke or another person of higher status. 
or the stepmother trying to set up the stepsisters with someone of a higher status. The step family does think about hiding who you really are and hiding your faults until after marriage, but it's definitely not pushing that you have to marry, you have to marry, you have to marry. Even like the TV show Once Upon a Time, the stepmother was like, you can't marry a footman, you have to marry someone higher than that, You're like a duke or a count or something. Everything is about meeting the prince at the ball and marrying him since he's meeting all of them. Whereas the prince is wondering why he's some prized possession for all these women. I agree it's very hetero, but it's not everyone's goal and happy ending to marry. They just want to meet the prince. I think it's also important to mention that many of the crew for all Disney Cinderella adaptations, maybe all just in general, I don't know, particularly the writers and directors were male. I'm not saying men can't tell a story about a woman, but I do think female-led stories look and feel different when they have a female director and writer in comparison to male directors and writers. I will admit I had some thoughts (laughs) about the live-action Mulan who had a female director, but I do think that they're more about accurate cultural representation than female-specific representation. Anyway, Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella was a bit different, I think, because Whitney Houston had such a big influence as an executive producer on how the show, the show, how the movie and characters played out. That movie in particular also had executive producer Deborah Martin Chase, who is a literal game changer when it came to female-led movies and diversifying who is represented on screen, not only for the representation, but to enhance the movie. For those who may not know, Deborah helped produce amazing movies like The Cheetah Girls, The Princess Diaries, and The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. My point is, many Disney princess stories and writers have historically been male-led or male-created, created by men. The women who helped write and direct movies like Frozen and Brave really, I think, had to push beyond barriers and against dominant movie and animation production norms to just be there and create an amazing female-led, female-empowered movie for young girls and families. The 2021 Amazon Cinderella movie is one of, if not the only, female-directed and female-written Cinderella films in the last century. I say one of because I did not actively search for every version of Cinderella. As I told you earlier, there's a huge list, but in terms of the ones that are literally labeled in the title as the movie Cinderella, this is the case. I did want to talk about the Amazon Studio Cinderella in particular because it also has Cinderella in the title even though it's not a Disney movie. So there's two things I want to talk about with this movie. One was the initial reviews from everyone, not specifically critics, just like you, me, the everyday person, not people who specialize or have professions in critically analyzing movies. And also just my initial reaction to watching this movie, because I do feel like it was different than what the reviews said. And so for me, in my experience with this movie, it was misleading going in. So let me start with the reviews. The initial reviews were very upsetting for me. And this was before I even watched the movie. I was still skeptical about watching it, so I read all the reviews. <sighs> Almost everybody rated it one star. If you look at it now, it's the average rating is three stars, not one star. So it's gone up since then. But the initial reviews in the first week, everybody was rating it one star. And I was looking at the reasons why. <laughs> I couldn't help but to roll my eyes at just how ridiculous the reasons were for rating it one star. Because to me, having seen the trailer, it was obvious, but I guess for those who maybe didn't see the trailer and maybe just clicked on the buttons and yeah, I'm going to watch it, went in with a bit of a shock, I guess. Some people said one star, too much singing, too much dancing. 
it is a musical. The trailer emphasized it was a musical. You have a whole cast of actors and actresses who sing and who are Broadway stars. To me, I didn't understand why people didn't assume there would be singing. And I get other versions of Cinderella may not have that much singing, especially the 2015 one, but the 1950 one, there is singing in it, and it is somewhat like a musical. Especially the Rodgers and Hammerstein's one. That one is definitely a musical. A few other people said one star because of the super feminist and women's liberating messaging. Oh, this is a movie about a woman starring a woman for kids. Why would it not be feminist and liberating? I guess that one could be a bit harder, but just, yeah, for me, I'm like, in today's day and age, when we're talking about gender equality, why would it not be a feminist movie or not try to be a feminist movie? One star, because the fairy godmother is a man. A few people in particular said, why do we have to question our gender and sexuality in every movie? They're saying this because of the fabulous godmother being played by Billy Porter. And the answer is you don't. I watched this movie and Billy Porter did not make me question my gender or sexuality. It literally just because the Billy Porter's character calls himself fabulous godmother. And I don't see how one person being labeled as godmother while society identifies him as a man should make you question yourself. Maybe that's just me. It also made me think about the Nickelodeon Cinderella movie. I think I mentioned it earlier. Nickelodeon had a movie years ago called Rags, which is gender bending every single character. And if you can't handle Billy Porter as a fabulous godmother, imagine watching Nickelodeon Rags and seeing Cinderella is actually a guy. Does Charlie make you question your gender and sexuality? Probably not, because you'd be like, oh, this is a male version of Cinderella. So why can't we see it the same way? This movie in general overall is also super heterosexual, so I don't know how it makes anyone question their sexuality either, because every movie seems to be super heteronormative. Some other people said one star because it's nothing like the Disney version of Cinderella. That's because it's an Amazon Studios movie. No one said we were imitating Disney. Cinderella doesn't even come from Disney. So that one was also interesting. I don't know why that has anything to do with how good or bad the movie is. There's even one comment <laughs> really annoyed me that said, I love the costumes, I love the scenery, I love the props and the sets and the dancing and the actors and the characters, blah, 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 blah. So they said all these things. I thought they were going to rate it five star. And then they said, but there's some downsides. So I was like, okay, maybe three star. One star because of its portrayal of men as oppressive towards women, because of the fairy godmother being a male, and for one other reason, I'm giving it one star. I'm like, but they literally loved everything else about it. They kept going on saying, I know men who are not oppressive or discriminatory of women. I know them too. But that doesn't mean historically that men were like that. We live in a different time than when this story kind of takes place. Reading all those one-star comments and why the movie overall had one-star rating, it made me want to watch it more because I was figuring that maybe those one-star ratings were very one-dimensional. Basically, all these movie reviewers were giving the movie a one-star out of five-star rating to me because they didn't know what they were going into and were disappointed or they maybe are not as inclusive about what they watch and being open to other possibilities. I'm going to leave it at that. So here's my reaction to the movie. 
Initially, I wasn't thrilled with Camila Cabello. I wasn't initially thrilled with her as Cinderella. Her voice is a bit different to me than the other voices that are in this production. But I will say both her and her voice grew on me as I watched the movie. It took me a while to realize it because I'm not a vocal coach. I'm not an acting coach. I have no experience in that realm of theater, entertainment, etc. But I noticed Camila Cabello has a somewhat thinner voice than the entire rest of the cast. I don't know how better to explain that. Sometimes she kind of sounds like her voice isn't all there. You can't fully understand what she's singing about. Yeah, I don't really know how else to describe it. In comparison, when you hear other others around her singing, it is easier to understand what they're singing in terms of the words because I don't want to say their voice is thicker, but it, yeah. Anyway, again, I'm not a vocal coach. I'm not, I don't even know how to use the correct terminology or descriptor words. So maybe fuller voice was better. But anyway, like I mentioned earlier, this is a musical. There was a lot of singing. There were a lot of songs. There was a lot of dancing. A lot more than I anticipated, but I'm not upset about it. I am a musical person. I like musical theater. I like musical movies. So that probably, you know, helped. (laughs) Most of the songs in this are redone by the cast. And I think, you know, most of the time they fit really well aside from modern lyrics and non-modern society and bits where maybe these particular lyrics of the remade songs seems a bit too serious or a little bit out of place in the plot but overall the lyrics of the remade songs and the original songs seem to match with the characters and the plot at that given point in the movie so if we don't look at it too in depth it worked And really, like, who can find an exact song word by word that matches a specific movie scene? That'd be, like, nearly impossible, unless you write one yourself. The other point I wanted to make is the prince. We know a lot more about him. The prince also kind of uh, bothered me. I don't know if that's a great word to use. At the beginning, but then over time kind of grew on me. The movie had him starting as what I would call a stereotypical movie frat boy. And then, for whatever reason, as soon as he sees Cinderella and hears her talking, he immediately changes character and decides he's going to be a better person and be a good ruler. Which, to me, doesn't make sense. He doesn't know her, he's never met her, and all of a sudden, frat boy-like behavior just went away. Just, Just like that, instantly. And this is kind of a weird, random one. He also has an ear piercing. I wanted to mention it only because I couldn't think of another prince, another fairy tale prince who had a piercing. Just anywhere. Nose, eyebrow, ear, I don't care where. I just never, I couldn't, I couldn't even think of anyone who had it, especially in Disney. I was just, and maybe I'm forgetting, but I I couldn't pinpoint it. I still can't pinpoint. I was like, I think he's the first and this is showing, you know, something new. The movie overall takes place in a super oppressive, anti-feminist town. I'm assuming it literally is supposed to be like history. And there's quite a few lines and things that happen that showcase this. And I think this is what that one commenter mentioned about men being super oppressive. And I definitely saw that. The prince. The prince literally tells Cinderella at the ball, quote, I choose you to be my princess, end quote. And doesn't even ask her if she wants to marry him. She does say no, though. So spoiler, sorry. Also, it's kind of implied in the trailer. When she does say no, he is super supportive of her decision and continues to support and help her after. 
The prince also has a sister in this movie. He didn't have siblings before, at least in the Disney versions. And the sister wants to be a ruler. And every time she expresses her progressive ideas, she's immediately shut down by her dad, the king. It seems to be because she's female and because her brother is older and is, quote, meant to be the ruler. She was probably one of my favorite characters. I felt for her. One thing I wasn't particularly fond of is that this movie says it's a, quote, feminist film by having feminist-minded, strong, smart female characters, which I do love, but they also have dull, or shall I say, not bright male characters, and that is considered a feminist movie. Remember, feminist means advocating for gender equality. Aside from the fabulous godmother, Billy Porter, all the other men are not the brightest and don't seem to do much and kind of seem, I don't know, just really dull. Feminist movies, while it is great to see strong females, is not just about that. And I don't want to be advocating for men in a female movie necessarily. We don't get that the opposite way in a male-dominated film all the time, but it would be nice to also see smart men with feminist mindsets who support women and advocate for them. The Prince does this a bit and kind of teeters back and forth between being feminist-minded and reverting back to the anti-feminist ways of their town. But to me, that particularly is understandable when that is all he knows and that is what he grew up on. A little detail that I found questionable, interesting, and made me like raise my eyebrows. <laughs> I don't ever see Cinderella doing chores in this movie. And isn't that what her story is about? Is someone who is forced to do housework for her stepfamily and is trying to get out to make a life for herself, right? The beginning of the movie shows her bringing tea to her stepfamily. That's literally it. That's the only thing that she does in terms of domestic chores, which I guess is a good thing because in terms of, you know, being feminist, it is good to not see them do domestic chores or hold domestic items like a frying pan or other. But it was interesting because it is a huge part of Cinderella's story. And the funny part about it that made me raise my eyebrows is if anything, I see the stepmother and stepsisters doing chores way more than Cinderella, which is something that I, I don't think I've ever seen in any other adaptation. The stepmother <laughs> is seen hanging laundry more than once in this film. And she even makes her daughters do it. So they realize they must marry rich so they never have to do chores again. But Cinderella doesn't do any of those things, or at least we never see her do any of those things. And it was hard to feel bad for Cinderella in her situation because after the tea situation at the beginning, her stepsisters are actually really, are shown to be really civil and nice to her. And the stepmother, you can kind of see, is trying to help Cinderella find a husband and help her in, through society through her own lived experiences, which we do get. So you kind of get like the, you get to see the humanity in the villain character and kind of feel for her a little bit. Kind of like how we've seen with other adaptations, especially recently with Marvel and others. Sometimes she might not be nice, but it's generally because she's just expressing the real world and her experiences in the real world and how they don't believe that women can have goals and dreams outside of being a wife and doing whatever is expected of them because that's what she lived through. So she's just essentially not trying to give Cinderella hope for something that wouldn't pan out. The final thing I wanted to mention about this movie, Cinderella finally has clear goals 
bold dreams, which we've never really seen. It's kind of like, I think this is what her dream is, but I'm not really sure because she hasn't clearly defined it for us. In this movie, it is super clear from the beginning that she wants to be a businesswoman. She wants to be a fashion designer, excuse me. And we are all aware. We know right from the start. However, the thing that disappointed, or not disappointed, that's a harsh word. The thing that I didn't like, I guess that's not really any better. We don't get to see her dreams play out we literally don't get to see anything. We, well, we don't really get to see anyone's dreams come true except for one. Everything is just assumed. Because she got this gig, it's assumed everything goes great and she's going off, but we don't actually get to see her creating new dresses, creating new fashion, getting to see how other people respond to her work, admiring what she's made. We don't get to see any of that. And that was kind of upsetting. But that is my initial reaction. Additional things to mention about this movie. There was a lot of talk about this movie having a diverse cast and the first Latina Cinderella. The Mary Sue mentioned, quote, even with casting Latina actress Camila Cabello as Cinderella, they picked a white Latina and most of the supporting cast is white, end quote. And as I previously mentioned, the TV show Once Upon a Time had a Latin American actress, Dania Ramirez, as Cinderella in 2017, who represented the second Cinderella of color in my eyes. And I guess I can't really say what is valid or not valid or what is authentic or not authentic. All forms of identity are valid. One is not more or less of their identity because they look or act more or less like the identity, or I guess what would be expected of the identity by society. I just think it's interesting that when Hollywood is given the option to diversify their cast, they tend to, not all the time, but tend to choose individuals with lighter skin tones, who have United States accents, etc. If you look and compare Danya, Camila, and even Brandy, who are the Cinderella's of color, and now that I'm thinking about it, we really, we really shouldn't compare them, but bear with me for a second as I do. Brandy and Danya are much darker in skin tone, with Danya having an accent. All three have much more agency, goals, and ambitions than their white counterparts. Camilla pushes to fulfill her dreams as a fashion designer. Brandy actively packs and leaves her abusive family. And Danya only goes to the ball to kill the prince because his kingdom killed her father. It leads to a rebellion that she helps lead. There's lots of sword fighting. So moving on. I was not aware of this, but Cinderella on Broadway was also being promoted. So we have another Cinderella story, Amazon Studios Cinderella and Cinderella on Broadway all happening this past summer. Metro.co.uk had a lot to say about marketing for both Cinderella on Broadway and the Amazon Studio Cinderella, which I was not aware of. They said, quote, both were being framed as Cinderella, but better and better, it turns out, simply means less romantic. In an attempt to make Cinderella more three-dimensional, not really something expected of the fairy tale genre given that they are morality tales full of archetypes, both new versions decided Cinderella needed to be defined by something other than love, end quote. And then later in the source, when talking about the Amazon Studios movie, they go on to say, quote, she wants to be a businesswoman, not a princess. It even goes so far as to present the main conflict of the film as a tussle between love and independence, rather than the abuse of a merchant's daughter at the hands of her cruel stepmother. Instead of sending the message that kindness ultimately wins, as is tradition, the film prefers to use Cinderella to make the argument that we have to fight if we want to have a balance between love, life, and work. It dictates that it is not enough for Cinderella to be loved. She must want to launch a fashion empire too. Of course, neither goal is invalid, but the focus of her story should not be what she does with her time, 
but rather who she is at heart. In fact, both West End, which is Broadway, and Amazon Cinderella seem to take issue with how she spends her limited downtime. Suddenly defacing statues and opening shops is more inspirational than making tiny clothes for a friendly mice. But why does Cinderella need such activities in order to matter to modern audiences? What is this insistence that she must be talented, feisty, and possess the business acumen to be a role model in 2021? Why is love as a moral so easily dismissed? End quote. So good things to think about. While I get the, we've seen all of this about romance and all of this about heteronormativity. Why can't we do something where we don't have love? Why can't we do something where there's no romantic love or where there's not a heterosexual romance? I think it's nice to see diversity in different things in different ways and not see the same thing over and over. But how many times are we going to watch it with these slight changes before we're tired of watching the same overall story again and again? So I guess to wrap things up, because this is a very long episode, do you think that there are too many Cinderella movies? Which one is your favorite? You can reach out to the podcast via the website www.wonderfulworldofdisneyvillains.com or on Instagram at www.ofdisvillains. Please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so others can find the podcast. And of course, you can contact me, Katie, on Instagram at disvillainsscholar.